personal world. There's a culture of tithing, culture of giving, culture of serving, culture of connect groups, culture of the word. All those things are really good, culture of listening to sermons. But then there are some hidden cultures as well. The hidden cultures, which are basically two, the culture of the word and culture of prayer. And sometimes as Christians, we can focus on the other ones and find ourselves actually growing in those areas. And it's fantastic. But just like the bodybuilder who focuses on chest and neglects the back, we can have some issues if we're not focusing on the, the, the full picture, on the core muscles that would be for a bodybuilder. And for us, the core muscles are those two. It's prayer, the culture of prayer and culture of the Word of God. Who agrees with me here this morning? Let's give Jesus a hand. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. And this is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about your core or the, the core of who you are and what you've got to work out. This is in the Amplified Version. It says this, May He grant you out of the riches of His glory to be strengthened and spiritually energized with power through His Spirit in your inner self. Your indwelling, indwelling your innermost being and personality. We're getting pretty core here. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Well, the heart's pretty core. Through your faith. And may you, having been deeply rooted, again, we're going deeper, and securely grounded, well, we're going a little deeper here as well, be fully capable of comprehending with all the saints, God's people, the width and the length and the height and the depth of His love, fully experiencing that amazing, endless love. And that you may come to know practically through personal experience, the love of Christ, which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience, that you may be filled up throughout your being to all the fullness of God, so that you may have the richest experience of God's presence in your lives, completely filled and flooded with God Himself. What an incredible scripture. Can we thank God for that scripture? Because it's the essence of what God wants for us and for our lives. And it is all about the core of our heart. It's the core of our spirit this scripture is speaking about. And so this morning, I want to talk about the cultures that help us grow that inner man. Like I said, two elements. Um, prayer, which we, we, we spoke about last week, and this week is the Word of God. Um, and again, you, you want those front and center because everything else is built on those two. So how does the world help? How does the Word of God help us grow? Um, I was about 21 years old, on fire, seem, seemingly for God. Um, loved Him, truly, just wanted Him more than anything else. Um, had been through a, a difficult kind of time in my life. Found God, fell in love with Him, but had no word life. And I was in a, I was going to a, a particular church that wasn't necessarily strong on the Word of God. They didn't necessarily teach it. They didn't necessarily encourage you to read it. Um, and a lot of people kind of knew, knew the basics, but weren't encouraged to go to the Word of God. And I realized at that point, I'm sitting in that church and I'm frustrated. I, I'm really frustrated because I know, I know there's more to God than what I know and what I'm being told. I know there's more to it. I know that 
there's a greater relationship I'm to discover and I'm sitting there and I'm bound up and I'm frustrated and it's like I'm just sitting beneath a ceiling over me and I, I don't know what to do. And I'd pray to God. I'd be like, God, help me. I mean, you know, I love you and I want more of you, but is this it? Is this, is this the limit? Because I'm sure there has to be more to it than this. And then I actually... I feel like God led me out of that church into a church where they preach the Word of God, where they encourage you to open the Word of God for yourself, to read it, to let God speak to you through the Word of God. And all of a sudden, I found myself punching through that ceiling. I found myself reading the Word of God, which contradicted what I was feeling, contradicted my circumstances, contradicted what I was being taught, because it started to speak to me. It started to say, no, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon me and you will be my witness. Hang on a sec. I wasn't hearing that before. I was hearing, no, just take your seat and, uh, you know, let God do the rest. But when you open up the Word of God, He begins to speak to you. He begins to encourage you. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you're finding your growth stunted in any area of your life, you might need to punch through that ceiling. You might need to get your fists out and not literally punch, but just do that. You know, punch open, punch outward the Word of God and actually get into it and begin to believe what the Word of God says about your circumstances, that you are the head and not the tail, that you're a conqueror, that you have the victory in Christ, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be His witness. Amen. Let's give Jesus a hand here this morning. So what way, in what ways does it help us grow? First of all, it leads us to truth. I'm so thankful that Jesus said the Holy Spirit will come and he will lead you into all truth. Now, truth is a touchy subject at the moment. You know, people will tell you, uh, you know, you have your own truth and I have my own truth and truth is relative and there is no absolute truth. And so, uh, and, and I remember being taught this in university actually, and I don't remember much of my university lectures, most of all, mostly because they were very boring, especially the law ones. But the social science ones were actually, I found them quite interesting. And I remember the first time I actually perked up in a class and was interested when the lecturer said, um, what is that? And he pointed at a chair and the class said, it's a chair. And he said, well, how do you know it's a chair? Who's to say it's a chair? Who's to say it's a chair? And we all sat there heads, scratching our heads and he convinced us that the idea of the chair was just a social construction and that you can't necessarily believe it's a chair just because, but you believe it's a chair because someone's told you it's a chair. Wow. But if no one had told you it was a chair, you wouldn't think it was a chair. Wow. And so everything in your mind, you have to question everything you've been taught. I don't know what you guys are sitting on at the moment, but don't for a second believe that they are chairs. And I actually found that interesting at the time. And he'd give us crazy examples. He'd say there's a tribe of uh, natives in South America who spend their whole existence high and on drugs. Who's to say? Who's to say that they don't have a better existence than us? If you were to ask them, they'd say they had the truth and that they lived fruitful, flourishing lives. Who's to say that we have the truth? And the world will come and will try and convince us 
to lean on our understanding, to lean on our desires, to lean on our circumstances and derive truth from that. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but there is absolute truth. There is absolute truth and it's right here. And the reason why it's absolute truth, it's because it's marked by an empty tomb. Sorry, but that lecture does, that lecturer who taught me cannot show me an empty tomb. It cannot show me the person who said that heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will last forever. He cannot show me a person who can claim and who I can believe whose words are eternal, whose words will never pass away. He cannot show me anyone like Jesus. He cannot show me, he can give me great concepts and ideas that make me think, but he cannot show me a person. He cannot show me a God whose words are eternal. He cannot. And so I have to lean on this. I can't lean on any other understanding other than this. Pilate, uh, Jesus is before Pilate, and they have this, they have this exchange. And this question about truth it's been raging for, for millennia. It's not a new thing, but it seems to be, um, the discussion seems to be heightening at the moment. Um, but Pilate asks, uh, Jesus says this, if we look at um, John chapter 18, verse 35 to 40. Um, Jesus says this in verse 36, he says, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Oh, you're a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Pilate asks, my uni lecturer asks, he asks what our children ask in school. What is truth? Pilate asks. And with this, he went out and Pilate has the truth incarnate, the way, the truth and the life standing before him. He's looking at him eye to eye and he asks, what is truth? And he actually believes Pilate actually believed that Jesus was innocent. Yet, he walks outside and sides with the crowd. They were shouting louder than Jesus was. They were vying for his attention. They were pointing out, they were provoking his motivations. Oh, are you siding with him against Caesar, are you? Pilate starts to get nervous. I know this might not be the truth, but I've got to look out for myself. I've got to look out for my position here. And so often it's easy for our own motivations, our own desires, our own circumstances, our own, our own pain, our own wounds, so many different things, our own understanding to actually lead us away from the way, the truth and the life and to what the crowd wants and to what the crowd is saying. And Jesus says, no. I am the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. I love Jesus because he is the truth. And here's the other thing about truth. People will, will debate, well, you know, what's true? For example, um, I was reading an article this morning, terrible, terrible story of, of a woman who fell off a P&O cruise 
a few days ago, and the, 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 one of the passengers was talking about how, it, you know, there were all these rumors going around. Someone said it was a little girl, someone said it was a man, someone said it was a woman, um, and someone said she was pushed, pushed, and someone said she jumped, and there were all these things, but the reality is there was one truth. There, there was one truth, and the truth was that the, a woman or someone had fallen off the boat. And there were all these different opinions and perspectives, but there was one truth. Everyone could say this happened or that happened, but there was actually a, a, a factual event that happened. And I don't care what people said, but there was a truth to be discovered. And so truth is true even when even if no one knows it. Truth is true, even if no one admits it. Truth is true, even if no one agrees what it is. Truth is true, even if no one follows it. And truth is true, even if no one but God grasps it fully. Truth is true, and it's to be discovered in the person of Jesus. And that's the power of the Word of God. And you know how you know it's true? Because it challenges you. It actually provokes you. Trust me, sometimes I've read this book and I've hated the words I've heard. You know, because so often we, we open it up and just encourage me, Lord, and inspire me and tell me how awesome I am. But what about sometimes when he, he challenges you and he says, no, actually there's something I want you to work on. There's something he highlights and he says, you're not doing so well in this area. That's how you know what's true when something challenges you. If, and think about it, your friends or your husband or your relationships, if they don't challenge you, they're not, real, they're not really your friends. But it's a true friend who'll actually come up to you and say, hey, I want to talk to you about something going on in your world that I don't necessarily think is right. The Word of God will provoke you. It will challenge you. It, will, uh, it seeks to mold you and to shift you. And that's another way how you know it's true. It's like a good friend. And it speaks the language of your soul. You open it up and you begin to read. And I mean, and not just read, but, you know, when we're talking about the Word of God, we're talking about meditating. We're talking about opening it up and just reading a few words and sitting on those few words for half an hour maybe, maybe five minutes. I don't know what it's gonna, where you're going to start. I don't know wh where you're at, but... It's not merely just about reading it, but actually letting it speak to you. So it's about meditating on it. Um, it's about declaring it. It's about really kind of writing out that scripture. Like last week, I spent three hours just journaling about two words, our Father. And I could have so easily skimmed over those two words, but I sat down and I said, hang on a sec, what does that mean to me? Because my immediate thought was, oh, God's a loving Father. And I had to sit there and ask myself, well, do I actually believe that? Do I actually believe that God is a loving Father? And after sitting with it for an hour and a half, I actually realized, hang on a sec, there's something up in my heart and I don't, and, and maybe there's certain things in my life that have maybe um, made me a bit suspicious of even God. And so I had to let God speak to me about that and change my heart, but it's so easy to skim over it. It's so easy to skim over it, but it's there to change your heart. It's there to speak to you. It's there to speak the language of your soul. 
2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Paul says this, he says, All Scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't necessarily like to be rebuked, corrected. I don't, I don't enjoy it. But the Word of God will do that. It will teach you and it will rebuke you. And sometimes it will not be fun, but it's absolutely necessary. The second thing I want to talk about is it sets us free. So the first thing is it, it helps us understand the truth. And the second thing is it sets us free. John chapter 8 verse 36 says, If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. You're free indeed. And people, you might talk to a friend and, and quote that scripture and says, man, there's freedom in this book. And they'll look at you and say, what are you talking about? That is the most oppressive book in history. It's just, it's just full of laws and regulations and don't do this and don't do that. And, you know, it just sets you up for a horrible, oppressive life. That's what the world believes. It's just full of rules and regulations. It's just full of you can't do this and you, you should do this. It's just full of condemnation and judgment. Well, I don't agree with that. I believe true freedom is in this book. Because the world will say true freedom is doing whatever you want, whenever you want. Whatever you desire, you go out and do it. You're here for a good time, not a long time. Go and be free. Go out on your whims. Whatever you feel like doing, whenever you feel like doing it, do it. And I've tried that philosophy. And I found myself not free, but in chains. Actually, in chains. And so, I began to learn that true freedom is not having no constraints and no framework and no... Um, no regulations and no law, but it's actually choosing the right constraints and choosing the right regulations and choosing the right freedoms that will actually help us flourish as individuals. Amen. And Proverbs actually sums it up nicely. It says, desire without knowledge is not good. And so if we've got desires and we're desiring certain things, we actually have to understand what they are and the Bible helps us get the knowledge about our desires. I want to read this quote from Tim Keller, which I love. It says, modern people like to see freedom as the complete absence of any constraints. But think of a fish. And this is funny because my brother Danny actually had a fish, a fish tank, and he told me this story recently, which cracked me up. There's a tiny hole at the top of this fish tank, which I think he uses just to put put food in and he's got this he had this one skinny fish and it jumped out of that hole and onto the floor and you know died and he was like I just cannot understand first of all how that fish came out of that tiny hole how it ejected itself from the water through that little hole and onto the ground he could not comprehend the physics of it but he also could not comprehend why the fish would want to do that but this quote might help us. Modern people like to see freedom as the complete absence of any constraints. But think of a fish, because a fish absorbs oxygen from water, not air. 
Because it absorbs oxygen from water, not air, it is free only if it is restricted to the water. If a fish is freed from the river and put on the grass to explore, its freedom to move and soon even to live is destroyed. The fish is not free anymore, but less free if it cannot honor the reality of its nature. The same is true with aeroplanes and birds. If they violate the laws of aerodynamics, they will crash into the ground. But if they follow them, they will ascend and soar. The same is true in many areas of life. Freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions as finding the right ones, those that fit with the realities of our own nature and those of the world. This fits with your own nature. Nothing else does. And you, you can see people who build their life around this and you see that the joy, you see the hope, you see them flourishing, you see great lives lived. You see their generosity, you see the impact they have, you see the transformational power they have because they are truly free. And who the sun sets free is free indeed. This reads your nature, this explains your nature. This helps us understand and live out our true nature, amen. Let's give God a hand here this morning. And if, if I can ask the band to come. The third thing I wanna talk about, I've spoken about how it helps us discover the truth and how it sets us free. And the third um, thing I wanna say is it gives us hope. It gives us hope. And I, I wanna share a bit of a story that's happened in our family the last few weeks, which has been a bit of a miracle, not a bit of a miracle, a big miracle actually. Um, so three weeks ago, I think it was three weeks ago, I was sitting where June's sitting in the morning service and um, gr my grandfather had been suddenly fallen sick and he was taken into ICU and mum, who's here this morning, hey mum and dad, mum messaged and said, come, uh, come and say goodbye. And there was a bit of a debate in the messages, like, what, what do you mean? Like, is this actually happening? Because it all happened, it's, it's, it's all escalating quite quickly. And um, so I left the service halfway through and went to the hospital and my whole big Lebanese family is there. And they're all, it's, I think everyone except mum and um, some of my other aunties who believe so strongly were, were probably hopeless. And the doctors had given a very, very bad report that he wouldn't live past lunchtime. And the family had asked, can family from overseas or interstate come? And they said, no, don't bother. It's, it's, he's, he's not gonna make it past lunchtime. And everyone was crying and everyone was defeated and everyone was hopeless. How did this happen so quickly? And how could this be happening to us right now? And there was, it was just like the whole family was in free fall. The whole family was in just descending into this devastating, depressing pit. And I know my mum was in the room praying for him. And I said, hey, let's, let's just have a prayer meeting. 
and there's a chapel at Westmead Hospital and I invited the family down and about 30 or 40 of them turned up for a prayer meeting in the hospital and most of them are Catholic and Orthodox so we prayed some Catholic and Orthodox prayers directed at Jesus which is totally scriptural. We had a moment where the family was invited to forgive him of their of anything maybe they were holding against him and it was a beautiful moment of forgiveness and release. And then I just started to tell them what this said, that this says that he will live and he will not die. This says that Pa is healed by the stripes of Jesus. This says that if you speak to that mountain and command, order it to be removed and cast into the sea, will be. This says that Jesus cursed the fig tree and it shriveled up and died. And he said, we do greater things than that. So we speak to this sickness right now and we command it to shrivel up and die. I just started to encourage them with this. And if I didn't have this, I don't know what I would have said. Probably would have continued to spiral into that free fall. But we emerged from that prayer meeting and everyone had faith. Everyone believed that he was gonna make it. No one was crying anymore. Everyone was injected with, with a bit of this substance called faith because they were now leaning, not on their own understanding, but trusting in the Lord. And we went back upstairs and so suddenly, hey, some positive news. He's actually responded, he's improved. And it was incredible because it was like, the whole family was like, yeah, we knew that. <laughs> yeah, we knew that was gonna happen. <laughs> but it shifted in a matter of 20 minutes from complete defeat to complete victory. It was incredible. And he's just continued to improve and get stronger and stronger and stronger. And he's out of ICU, he's even out of hospital now, he's in a rehab center and he's getting better and stronger by the day. Praise God, let's give Jesus the glory. And that's a miracle, but it doesn't end there. He, I went and saw him a couple of weeks ago and he said, hey, I wanna tell you what, what I saw. And he said, my body left, uh, my spirit left my body at one point. And he was taken and he was shown a kind of crematorium, a room of fire. And then he said, and then it shifted scenes and I was in a judgment type room and people were discussing, they were discussing what they were gonna do with me. And they said, look, we don't order, and they said this to him. They said, we don't ordinarily do this, but we have to reverse our decision because there's too many people praying outside. We've got too much pressure from the outside. Well, where does it say that? says it in here. Where's it? How do we know to pray and that God will hear us and that we can stand on this? Well, it says it in here. Then it shifted scenes again and he's standing before Jesus on the cross and the penny finally drops for him and he, he's having, he's looking at Jesus and Jesus on the cross bleeding and he, the penny 
I think drops for him and he says, hang on, are you up there for me? Are you up there because of my sin? Wait, are you? Is it because of my sin that you're on the cross? Where does it say that? How do we know that's true? This is true. It's true. Can we give Jesus a hand here this morning?